Welcome back, everybody, to episode 38 of the Precision Unloaded podcast. Um, uh, you're joined by Graham and Anthony tonight, as Mark is off sick. Um, he's feeling a bit crook, so he can't get on online tonight. So Anthony's jumped in to fill his place. And um, so those of you may have listened, Anthony Colley's uh, one of our sort of top competitors in New Zealand, shoots for Team Hardy Rifle. Um, dairy farmer extraordinaire. How are you, Anthony? Yeah, not bad. Yeah. yeah. Soon, yeah. And um, tonight's sort of plan, we'll just, a bit of a casual one, but we're planning on talking a bit about um, uh, kind of match prep, as in um, training in the lead up to an event. Um, we've got no real sort of um, uh, notes or anything set in stone, so we're just going to talk about how we get ready and, and all that, and, and we'll probably talk about in, in the lead up to that a little bit of a little bit of hunting we've been doing, and um, well, not a lot for me, <clears throat> and, and other things. So uh, again, welcome back, Anthony. You've been on here. This must be your third or fourth time now. Yeah, almost a regular host. Almost. Yeah. Well, it depends. If Mark dies from his sickness, we might have to get you on full time. He's pretty old, so. <laughs> so you've um, uh, excluding practice, which we'll talk about um, for competitions. What are you about to, Anthony? You've been. I've been getting a lot of pictures of dead animals. You've been killing a few pests around the place? Yeah, a bit of hunting. Just the time of year for it. Um, I was chasing a few stags, but nothing nothing, uh, nothing really has caught my interest yet um, on the stag front. But we've been dealing to quite a few pigs um, around the place, which is a pain in the ass with the wet weather. Um, that's about it, really. So nothing, no special trips away looking for looking for deer or stags or anything like that everything's just around home um fed our eye on one that hasn't sort of showed himself in the last three weeks which is a bit of a bugger but uh so pigs in the meantime oh that's not the end of the world i actually um my wife's requested that i shoot another stag for the lounge Right. So I might have to come over for a training trip and uh, try shoot one of the scraggly ones you don't <laughs> like. <laughs> but um, yeah, she's like, That'll let, one, one would look good right here. And I was like, yeah, I can probably figure something out there. But um, no, uh, as for me, um, as for the uh, non-practice side of things, really, it's been um, a bit busy with other things in life at the moment. But um, there's been a few goats turned up um, on my range, funnily enough. I went up for a practice session there's about 20 something goats up there so i um i've forgotten all but all my ammo except um i had like a half mag and so i um i've ripped half a dozen of them or something and and then they all sort of bug it off and um so i drove back home not very far to grab my ammo wallet and and drove back up there which again only a short drive and all the goats had come out of the forest and were milling around and so i um yeah, I dropped a few more and end up with about a dozen, including a, a reasonable billy for my area. We don't get particularly big billy goats. Um, yeah, it's quite quite good. We don't. There's, there's seems to be a herd that moved through around uh, where we are in the neighbouring properties. They hadn't actually been at our place for a while, so um, they come back for a couple of days. I don't think they'll be back again for a little while, um, for obvious reasons. But yeah, so that was good. The only trouble with um, sort of culling a bunch of feral goats. They're all in the hay paddock, so then you've got to go and get rid of all these stinking goats. Like a lot of them are billies, and that's that's the downside. It's like um, the big clean up afterwards. Um, you know, you got to 
I have my truck, so you just fill it back up and um, make a bit of a pig pile. But anyway, but uh, as as other than that, I've been um, uh, again uh, no raw hunting for me this year either. So it's um, a bit quiet on the deer front. Yeah. So there's been nothing that's caught nothing that's up to your standard. Is that the problem? Like you no no sort of standout stags around or. Oh, like we've had that. We've got that one that we've been watching for quite a few years. He just sort of hangs around, but he last year did the same thing. He just disappears for a while, and um, we've actually earmarked that one. Not not earmarked in a literal sense, but you mm. know, identified him for a um for my wife Sarah to shoot because she sort of missed out last few years. I take all the good ones, and she just well it just gets left with nothing. So <laughs> we said, right, when when I reckon he's big enough, he'll be all yours. So. And this year we decided that, yeah, he looks pretty good. We saw him, you know, right up until every day, up until about three weeks ago, and then he's just vanished. Um, but he'll be back. He'll probably come back in two or three weeks when he's finished rutting. And, yeah, but nothing else. Nothing else around. He was by far the, the biggest one. And, um, yeah, quite a few smaller ones around, a lot of hinds. But you never know what, what might turn up. We're, you know, we're in a pretty good spot. Anything can anything can just wander through even that one you shot the day after i left that um nice big gnarly 10 that was pretty cool yeah. one in the bush that was that was awesome um yeah pretty unique unique sort of head for for the area but... yeah yeah it was um it was neat very cool um but anyway so this um uh, this episode 38 we thought we'd have a yarn about um so both anthony and i in the lead up to comps now we sort of do a couple of weeks of um more intensive training i guess you'd call it nowadays um to the point where it's daily in a lot of cases so i thought we'd just sort of go over how we do that we're not going to talk about dieting and stuff because we're probably not the best um examples i mean that's what our wives feed us is what we eat. <laughs> but um <laughs> but yeah so um as for me uh again i'm got a few other things going on non-shooting related at the moment in life um so it's keeping me homebound but i'm lucky enough to live rural so at the moment it's um uh, i'm mixing in probably probably 75 percent 22 and then 25 percent uh, 223 so i've got a, a small little uh 22 training range set up on one side of my my house um it's not nothing crazy bit of a gully so you got downhill stuff um the interesting winds you get across the little gully furthest targets at about 180 meters um so pretty it's a pretty good mix for the 22 got a few props um so we're this weekend we're heading away to the first um round or event of the new zealand prs the official prs in new zealand so um we're anticipating i am anyway more um man-made props uh rather than like the rocks and trees and stuff that we normally encounter at um trs or gpre events so I've, I've got a like a like a kids jungle gym thing i don't know how to explain it and then uh, i've made a bit of a like a skill stage type wall so a lot of that kind of training with the 22 um very very little prone uh to the point where i actually had to intentionally do some prone the other day because i hadn't done any for so long um so are you doing a lot of two 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 anthony so 22 training yep yep um mixing it up with a little bit of two to three but not as much two to three at the moment i've just i've sort of changed my main competition gun to a 
chassis set up now and I'm sort of a little bit reluctant to practice with my 223 because it's not the same configuration I just don't want to get used to or practice with something that's not the same um, whereas the 22 is very similar feel to the new gun um, so I've been doing a lot more of that um, and any center fire stuff has basically been uh, six mil now one I'm trying to run the barrel in and two I'm just trying to get used to it because I haven't shot it I've only done yeah so a couple hundred rounds now so sorry so just so for those again a lot of the people who listen are familiar with with your um who you are but so you you were shooting a hardy hybrid with a six mil barrel on it a six mil creed and now yes. you have yep. a x action which is the remington footprint with with yep. a six mil creed. yes Okay, and yes. what chassis did you go with? Uh, it's on the Whiskey 3. Okay, that, yes, that's that's the same chassis as your your Voodoo, correct? Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Same one I can put in the Voodoo, yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Oh, that makes so sense. So that's why I'm using... Yeah, so I just swap it over. So um, the 22 stuff, I've been... Some of it, not all of it, but some of it has been... Put it in the in that whiskey, so that is the same feel. Yeah. So I'm really big on having the same trigger same feel same scope for for training that i do for competition that's why i was using yeah the hybrid for, for everything yeah um but i just wanted something more competition specific i suppose um, yeah no. a bit heavier mm-hmm. and that's why i've gone with what we've gone with now so i can still yeah i can still replicate it with 20 with voodoo um easily enough i just put that in the in the whiskey or the the krg bravo that it's in most of the time still has a pretty similar feel and you're running and you said you're running the same just um trigger tech triggers is it yep trigger tech diamond two stage triggers and and everything um everything's set to the same weight um yeah and i just swap I, i'm i'm very limited on scopes i'm big on just swapping scopes around none of my i've only got three scopes i think for all my guns and they just get swapped around so i'm looking yep. through the same optic the whole time actually simon runs a similar thing um from gpre he runs his he's got he runs a sarco he's a 75 an older sarco that's been rebarreled and modernized and <clears throat> and then he's i think he's his 22 sarco quad varmint it's very similar stocks same arca setup that's been custom set to the stock um same or at least very, very similar Carlos optics. Um, I, I imagine for that exact reason, um, which is some merit to, which is where I differ. So at the moment, I'm pretty much exclusively training for 22 with the Voodoo 360, um, very kindly provided by one of my um, sponsors. <laughs> I won't go into it anyway. So, we'll go, so I've, I've somehow acquired a Voodoo, a brand new Voodoo 360. Um, and I've been... I've shit. I've shot a lot of rounds through it in the last month. Um, this thing turned out brand new. Um, it's it's pretty good. I've, I've actually got it. I had a little bit of feeding trouble with it at the start, which is kind of standard on Voodoo. So I played around with it a bit. I then realised I needed. Um, it didn't like any pressure on the magazine, like pushing into the front of the magazine. So I put a, a barricade stop on the um, Arca rail, and then. I just played around with the mag a little bit more today and I think even if there's a little bit of pressure now because um, I occasionally would um, override the barricade stop and put pressure on the mag if I was shooting off a 
various <clears throat> supporter positionals. So I, I think I've played with it enough now that it should be, I'm hoping, like 99% reliable, which should be the goal. Is um, that stock that it's in, it's just a stock, eh? it's not, it's, you can't tune it at all? Like yeah. Like the mag and... Yeah, so it's a, it's a Gravo, um, something or other. It's comfy enough. A few complaints on the stock is the cheek riser, the the sort of the tensioning knob where you set it. Um, it doesn't apply quite enough pressure, so the, the, through the session, the cheek riser can lower itself down. Um, so I've had to sort of over tighten it a bit to keep it in place. Uh, another complaint would be the uh, the vertical pistol grip isn't um, vertical enough, so my hand, my trigger finger, ends up um, pointing slightly down instead of. Um, Directly horizontal, like I'd like, but other than that, it's it's quite nice. Um, so there's a few little things that come with spacers. So you obviously adjust your cheek height to what you want, but then you use a spacer to set your length of pull. Um, it's solid. I mean, it's accurate. It just come in. I just check the torque, and it's accurate. I mean, I don't know if there's any voodoo's that aren't accurate. And in, in fact, I can't find ammo. It doesn't like even cheap stuff. Shoots like small, like freaking small little groups. It's um. Obviously, twenty two is going to the the issue is going to be downrange when the extreme spread of the ammunition lets it down. So, like one type at two hundred meters, I'd sort of be a, on a on a six inch target. I was a, above and below the target just due to velocity spread. But um, we're just at some some from sort of average ammo up to high end ammo. It's fucking awesome. Um, but yeah, now that it's I'm pretty sure feeding pretty good. I um. Uh, the session this evening went well with it um, didn't have any issues so hopefully there's a few more mags arriving uh, probably in the next couple of days and um, I'll do the same things to them and um, hopefully it's uh, a good reliable accurate setup not just for practice but for the, the large amount of 22 comps we have coming up through winter I, I just I, I did quite a lot of tuning with mine because mine was um uh, letting me down occasionally sort of when it mattered with the feeding and that's the same thing you put any pressure on it and it would just jam up um, but we managed to um, clamp it in there it's all just getting that mag height and lack of movement out of it and we just had to shave a bit off the back of the forend so we can slide the forend back and really just wedge it in there so yeah. Um, not, yeah you got to really push the mag in it's not it won't fall out if you um knock the clip or want to want it to fall out you've got to pull it out but it'll feed 99.9 percent .9 of the time even if you you can put all the pressure you want on the mag from any angle and it's and it's fine so i reckon we've got it got it cracked yeah that's the Finally. key on them that's the key in it because otherwise you've just got a really expensive lump of steel um like these are yeah. high these are high-end 22s like that they're, they're like mm, essentially olympic grade 22s magazine fed so uh, i think i actually do think they build olympic um, small ball guns now that's how serious voodoo is but it's um again yeah the the in the <clears throat> now the one of the issues i imagine they have is that it's the remington footprint and so it can go in any chassis and so the 22 mag is the size of a an aics pattern mag with just a funny little diddle that pokes up off the top holding your 22 captures, but there's going to be variances across this huge array of chassis. So with the grey bow stock, I looking at it, it looks like it, yeah, it could sit up like a, maybe a millimetre higher and to just increase that reliability a little bit. Um, 
but uh, again, not being tunable like some of the modern chassis. But I, I think it's good anyway. Um, it's, it's it's certainly a nice rifle to shoot. But if, if you yeah you you bugger your position up and you put pressure on that mag, it can turn to shit. And um, yeah, potentially that's that's the issue. Is if it's not feeding like pretty close to 100% reliably, I won't want to use it in the upcoming competitions because I could just use my um, T1X Tika and know that it's good. So, um, but yeah, um, it's still very fun. So, so how many, when you do a practice session 22, um, two things, how many rounds do you average if you sort of um, have a set plan and do you use like match grade ammo or do you use a slightly downgraded ammo for practice? Um, hundred, hundred ish, hundred to hundred and fifty, depending on what I, what I want to achieve. Um, and I use my good ammo because I want the practice to be good. You know, if I'm not hitting targets, I don't want it to be because it's an ammo issue. I want it to know know that it was me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, yeah, you practice. Bad practice is not good practice. Good practice to be meaningful in my mind you want everything to be to be right on so i, I start every session um whether it's the 22 or centerfire or whatever i'm doing i'll start with a zero check and then a quick dope check at the furthest target just to be sure and then get into it so then there's no no excuses or you know or what if so why why am i not hitting that target am i am i just breaking crap shots or is the gun off or was it the wind or what but if you if you've taken some of the variables out of it one you've got good ammo it's got a good zero you've got good dope that you've checked on the day um then you know it's you or your crappy wind calls um and yeah then you've got something to work on yes there's a, a a thing i've always been told by simon it's perfect practice makes perfect so you know as you say go through it in a set way, run through your checks, and then do it. The, the one area I, I vary is I don't run the R50 or the special match for practice. I run, like, the RWS target rifle. Um, very, very similar. You just don't have the QC, and the extreme spread's a little bit looser. But one thing I have found with, with most ammunition types that are of reasonable quality I'm not talking like the, the near Olympic grade stuff we, we try use for the comps is out to 150 meters on the 22. It's all pretty good. Past that, it can turn to rubbish real quick. So if you're practicing at 200 meters, like I said earlier, the six inch target, my shots with a, a cheaper type of ammo were high and low. And and what you end up doing then is you, you shoot high. So the next shot, you either dial down or you aim low. And then that next shot goes lower lower than your intended low hold so you go low again and you start scratching your head and all it is is the <clears throat> the vertical dispersion caused by variations in velocity and playing not playing tricks on you but causing you to um, get confused and really if your ammunition has that much vertical um, dispersion you should just keep holding in the center of target and <laughs> then you're one of them's going to hit in the middle eventually but um but yes, yeah, so I'm see, see for me for 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 training for training purposes either I w- yeah I, I wouldn't do it. That's why I use my good stuff because 
as you say, you start holding all over the place, you're not confident yeah, exactly. in the shots you're breaking. Yeah. Either you bring your targets in closer, um, but then what's the point? Because then it gets a little bit easier, you know, right? You're there to train to make it hard. Um, I like I like to use quite small targets as well, Out, you know, sort of the 22 stuff will sit up at home, will be out to sort of 250 metres, and they'll be fairly small targets. You know, like you want to, you need to break a good shot to, to hit it because um, otherwise if you're using substandard ammo or targets that are too big or too close and you can just break it anywhere on the plate and you're going to hit it and that's not teaching you anything apart from bad habits. Exactly. That, that's that's one thing I, was, I wanted to bring up was target size for competition and I know you've been doing something similar but I've been, this is for Centrefire and for 22, is practicing on smaller targets. Now, obviously if I'm, I don't do a lot of prone at home but if it's prone, like at home, I only really shoot out to about about 600. But mostly I practice, sometimes I'll just practice at 300 with a small target because it's positional. Um, you know, and, but then for 22s, same thing, smaller targets. And I like to do more than the standard competitor. I like to do a little, do a little bit more unsupported positional. So, you know, just basic standing, kneeling, sitting stuff. No support, maybe a sling. No tripod. Um, I've even decreased the targets for that. Um, and I thought I was doing pretty good. And then, then Simon came around for a practice session um, on the week, the long weekend. It absolutely um, put me to shame on on the unsupported shooting. But anyway, we most of us know how good he is at that. Um, but, um, but yeah, I've shrunk the target sizes with the idea that when I go to a competition, they're going to be twice as big or a third bigger or or whatever so if i like if i'm on my target say 80 percent of the time at home because it's difficult and from a difficult position the idea being at a competition that extra um impact area on on the, on the steel target is potentially going to pick up what would be an average shot at home that would miss but at a competition might hit because of the extra extra real estate are you doing something do you hit eighty percent of your shots training? Jeez, yeah, you make those targets smaller. I've been I've been practicing a lot. <laughs> yeah, we um, like you know, well, you, you know, because you you yeah, we've had a training session here, me and you. That was one of the one of the best sessions, probably that that anyone's ever had. Agreed. Um, yeah. but those we were aiming at. Yeah, we're trying to shoot pretty small targets and pretty testing, you know, just, well, you know, plenty, plenty enough wind for what we were using. And we missed a lot. Yeah. But I remember you saying to me, shit, we're missing a lot. I'm just like, yeah, but it doesn't matter because look at what we're shooting at. Like, we are just slipping off the edges by half inch and those targets were small. That, that's the and thing. That's like, a, if, if that was a comp, that target would have been twice as big because it's like two MOA at a competition usually yeah. as a minimum ex- except on like a kyl rack to moa for us like you say and then we're going to be impacting is the idea in it and it, um obviously yeah. after that session and that proved correct um yes because one thing when i first got into this game we put up pretty big targets and we'd well like, oh we've got a, we've got an event coming up or a hunt coming up or something and we go up used to be up, up the road at my dad's farm which has since been sold and um we had stuff at like 300 and I think, you know, 600 was what we got out to there in the end. And we had, we'd have a big, like 24 inch gong at 600 meters 
and we'd go down and look, <laughs> you know lie down prone and think we were awesome as we're like man that was a wicked session we were smashing that gong and it's like well we didn't really hit it on the first two or three shots and then once you're on you're kind of on right you might slip off the side due to wind variations and we weren't very experienced that's for sure and then we'll go to competitions and get absolutely ruined um and and it was not nearly as competitive back then but but now the the training and the practice is a lot different like i'm like i said the only way i'm going prone is if i want to validate the drop on something or um or if i'm shooting a particularly long way or, or if we are playing with the sort of extreme long range guns or whatever so um yeah it's, will, it's different i will start every session with a dozen shots prone as i said just to make sure that everything is on um for the day and then usually that's up for the day you know i might 10 or 12 rounds check my zero check my dope check everything right we're good and then into it and that'll be the last throw the bipod away that's that's up for the day um and i now i'm not sure about you graham but now i'm doing i used to fall into the trap of just plinking i suppose if you're you're just shooting or just shooting off a barricade you just sort of end up just plinking away at the same target from the same position or similar position and there's no real uh, meaning to to what we're doing so now i've started actually basically everything is a mock stage um everything will be under a time limit everything will have multiple targets everything will have multiple positions and we run basically everything as a, a mock stage that we ordered a match yep and then whatever's happened will identify the weaknesses from from that and then if needed run it again or work on the worst position for half a dozen rounds or sort of you know practice transitioning or something like that and then once we got it well once we feel as though we're confident with it then we'll move on to the next um so is that is that sort of how you're doing it now not well pretty much exclusively for for the comp gun stuff here like thousand meter and in comps practical comps um this prs comp yeah that's exactly what i'm doing i've um again simon came around for a session the other day and uh again there's a couple shots to check uh few things at distance from a couple of the guys but other than that it was just all he'd come up with a stage then i'd come up with a stage and would go through it and occasionally if we had a particularly poor run we'd run through it again and try and iron out like you say and then um yeah then it was another stage and so that was on props we also were doing a bit of um tripod deployment um so we're on a little bit of a downslope not nothing too serious um but under time as part of our stages deploying the tripod and, and trying to deploy it smartly like you know i'd sort of i set up one and shot it and i sort of struggled there's a downhill shot that was not stupid steep maybe like minus 15 minus 13 or something degrees and how i set my tripod i set my um my leveling base essentially level whereas i should have set it uh, to match the slope of the hill because once i tried to transition down to the target i actually had to almost lift the rear of the tripod a little bit to get enough uh, angle so stuff like that run through it go that didn't work that well and then talk it over with simon and he's come watch if you, if you if you do it maybe if you do it like this then you can get the best of both worlds and, and transition between multiple targets on multiple angles and um 
Yeah, so it's essentially the same thing. That was the idea, just mock stages. Because um, we know the gun, we knew the guns were shooting good. We knew the dope was pretty good. Um, yeah, so that's that's that idea. Is just, I guess, <laughs> I hate to say it, but train how you fight. So we're going to, to compete in a competition. So we're training like we are at the competition and um, anticipating the type of stages and challenges that will be set up for us and. Um, hopefully working on things that we'll encounter yeah yeah so that that's the other thing that i was going to mention is i try to anticipate or look back to previous um previous competitions from the same venue or same organizers saying to try and anticipate what type of shooting we're going to be doing you know what type of props what type of um stuff are we going to be doing and try and replicate that as well to the best of yeah best we can um write down everything apart from quite a few matches i know there'll be some unsupported and i just refuse to do that but everything else we will uh we'll try and replicate yeah yeah no it's um so you you said at the start like we you anticipate this match on the weekend the prs match is going to be a lot of man-made props and stuff like that so um and i have as well and that's basically all i've been shooting off is man-made man-made props so i will i will admittedly i'll put my i'll probably i'll probably do a two two session in the morning and then i'll in the afternoon i'll take the two two three up to 50 rounds of that then i'll Swap over to the two two three, other sorry, the two two three barrel back to the six mil, and I'll probably do about twenty rounds of six mil just to check everything. And I'll probably, I'll probably, I can talk to the neighbour and get over there and launch a few out to twelve hundred meters and just check, um, check that's all good because because we are they have indicated that the furthest target will be around twelve hundred meters. Um, so I'll just do a quick check on that and um, make sure it's lining up. Um, but yeah, that's it's that's that's the idea. Is I guess, <clears throat> like you say, you get a feeling now of what matches are gonna entail. Like you GPRE and TLRS, you're gonna have a bit unsupported. Um, you're gonna have some weird positions. You're gonna have piles of manuka, you know. And then, like you say, this match we're probably gonna have like bar- more man-made barricades. Go down south, we're gonna have more tripod. Um, and maybe some longer ranges so like yeah you should you get a feel and if you're a new shooter there's probably not you're not going to have much of a, a new to competition sorry um an idea but you'll pick it up over time different match directors have a certain style um although to be fair the uh the, the p10 practical the 22 match we're um got coming up at the end of may there probably will be a few more props at that event than you'd be used to for a, a tlrs shoot right so um for various reasons that we'll talk about in another podcast um so yeah there, there's going to be changes here and there but but if you can go in confident that if there's a certain um situation that you can at least have a, a clue on how you're going to deal with it and how you're going to um sort of you know still apply your fundamentals and hopefully make a, a clean hit uh, excluding wind issues um yeah um and then so you're not one thing i used to do is i used to go into a stage and it wasn't even that long ago, and I wouldn't actually have a plan. So I'd go into it completely blind on how I was actually going to do it, and they'll say, shoot, are you ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yep, start, and I'd go, oh, I guess I'll choose this position first, and maybe that one next. And 
and so now when I do practice whatever it might be center fire or, or rim fire I will and obviously I do it at the comp but I will you know essentially lay out my um, plan on how I'm going to run through that prop especially if there's multiple options like if, if your stage dictates you shoot from this position this position this position this position it's like okay then that's what I have to do but if you have like you shoot from one you shoot from one area and there's half a dozen positions you can choose and you move to the next area and there's half a dozen you sort of want to know where you're going to get to and maybe even having a backup sometimes I've got to positions thinking this is going to work and you think fuck actually this is a bit shit and you have to mix it up and so instead of sort of just grasping for any other um idea or, or solution you've sort of hopefully got something pre-planned and um yeah that, that that hindered me for years actually was stage planning i guess management of how i was going to execute it how do you how do you, you you'd be a bit more um you were taught by ian so you'd be pretty well off from the start wouldn't you on stage planning yep yeah. that's um quite meticulous i'll read the stage brief three or four times i'll sort of visualize it I'll have a clear, you know, know exactly where I'm going, what position I'm going to be using, where I'm putting my body, and obviously when it goes to shit, and it does regularly, you know, you've got to have a plan B. Um, but that I don't, luckily now, at the start I sort of struggled, you'd panic and be like, oh shit, what do you do if, if that position was crap? But now you can just, um, I suppose, more experience, and after shooting quite a few matches now, you just, yeah, you just move to the, move on and and um you know find a better position and get on with it and um yeah might just have to hurry up a bit if you're running out of time and but the yeah, same thing just making sure you're breaking good shots and good fundamentals and that type of thing and um I've, before i'd used to if, if there was a position or found myself in a in a spot that was not ideal i'd just sort of break the shot anyway and um hope for the best but now i'll reset move and go again um sort of i suppose learnt not to learn not to panic yeah that's um, that's a good point i'm i'm probably still a little bit susceptible to occasionally trying to forge ahead on a an not so imperfect a, a really average position like you're not always when we set stages from the, the match director and match design side of things you will set things that won't allow people to perfectly execute their fundamentals in a traditional sense, right? Like, so you can't, it might be prone, but you're going to be like bent up on the side of a hill if you are prone, your neck's all twisted. And, so you can't get that perfect square shoulders and um, flat legs and stuff, right? So you have to be able to, as a shooter, um, assess, I can get a good and fundamentally good enough position here because I'm forced to. But when you end up in a situation where you're like, no, nah, this is dog shit, I really should <clears throat> just stop, rebuild. Um, I'm a, I occasionally don't, and, I'm, and I'll be yelling at myself in my head, like, just fucking stop, and, and, and you've got plenty of time. Um, so that'd be yeah, a bit of a crutch for me still. I'm not as bad as I was with it. Like, I used to, I'd just sit there back in the day and blaze, blaze rounds until I was out of ammo, you know, and <clears throat> you still got a minute left in the stage, and you got zero ammo left and zero hits, so didn't really get me anywhere <laughs> yeah and then yeah and then but also um one other thing i've been working on is say you're in a perfectly good position is 
going a bit fast and then not applying the fundamentals correctly when in position, getting a bit sloppy because I'm like, well, I'm using my rimfire so I know I can be a bit sloppy on recoil management and such because it's not going to matter as much because it's 22. But if I'm using this to train for centerfire, and also train for other 22 comps, but the, the idea is training for centerfire to keep costs down and noise down. When I'm in the situation with my centerfire, I might revert to shooting how I would my rimfire and that's fundamentally flawed and, and they're in the recoil management side of things and it's gonna it's gonna let me down. One thing I have been doing recently is um I shoot offhand um and kind of like a, a biathlon style where you, you rest your hip uh, your elbow on your hip and you sort of um lay your hand out flat and it's some nice bone on bone support. But if I'm shooting steep a downhill shot, I'll I'll rest the twenty two above out of my collarbone on top of my shoulder almost because there's no real recall and I can shoot it quite accurately with the 22 works really well so in the last maybe month I've been um, trying to teach get rid of that habit and so I'm, I'm having to sort of relearn how to shoot that position but with the rifle set in my on my collarbone <clears throat> in a more uh, normal or correct however you want to put it away so when I go to my centerfire because um, if I try that with the centerfire it's just going to jump up onto my shoulder even with the 2 to 3 because there's just nothing holding it and and when you're when you're holding the rifle you want to be applying pressure into your shoulder with your, the hand holding your pistol grip so if the if the rifle's not sitting against anything I'm doing some sort of goofy free recall just just doesn't work so I've struggled a little bit to, to break that habit I think I've got rid of it um, through a lot of unsupported shooting in the last um, last month, but um, yeah, the the worry is that in a in a tight time I will revert back to that um that sort of that crutch I have and um, and and mishandle the rifle I guess, but I guess yeah it's hard it can be hard to if you've done something a certain way for a, a large period of time trying to get rid of it can be a bit of a um bit of a bugger so how do, how do you shoot offhand apart from i know not well but how what, do you actually what, do it <laughs> no i'm yeah, not, gonna, not well no yours not hasn't well. been that bad lately in the last it's, year it's still it's still pretty bad yeah i, I said um, your scores at the hunter match weren't the best from what i understand no 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 it was, <laughs> it was pretty bad yeah um yeah i don't know i've i've got to do a lot of work on it um i don't actually know what technique I should be no I should be using, and I've yeah. spoken with to Simon about this in quite detail over the last couple of matches about um trying to improve it, working on it. Um, because I mean it's no secret, right? That is my absolute Achilles heel. Anything you want, you want to trip me up, just put some unsupported shooting in there. I might as well just not shoot the stage. <laughs> um, but it's just something I don't, I don't practice um and mainly it's not because i don't want to practice well it is i don't really want to but i don't want to practice the wrong thing um because you can train yourself as you're saying to do the complete wrong thing and you'll just make it worse so at the moment i'm just like no i'm just not going to practice it because i don't actually know what i'm practicing and it seems stupid right because i mean i've done 
I've spent years hunting, done a lot of offhand shooting at, at animals with great success, um, and you always seem to get by. But as soon as you put it on a on a on a target, just can't seem to hit it. Yeah. Um, and the amount of shooting I do, you you think it would just get better, and it has got a little bit better. But it's well, some people can just pick up a rifle and just nail it, and I I'm just all over the place. And um, so yeah, one day. One day we will, I will figure out the what I should be practicing in the correct way, and I'll start doing it. But until then, I'm just not going to practice it in in fear that I'll create habits that are not good. Yeah, I actually <laughs> when so, it's it's a fair point. It's um, if you can get some lessons and 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 start practicing and building it with with hopefully the right or right technique or an acceptable technique from the beginning, then you probably be a lot better off um i when when simon came around the other day um we're doing some because uh, we're on a bit of a downhill slope some some kneeling shots and you end up um you left it so a right-handed shooter so left hand leg is um the right-handed uh the right foot is sort of under your bottom and then your left leg is sort of in a bit of a um, triangle so your rifle's sort of sitting on your knee and then you it's supporting the um uh, the rifle so you got nice bone support and i just I, I was okay at it but went over a few things and we sort of changed the position of my leg to get it underneath the rifle more and less sort of cant in my leg and it's funny little things that you wouldn't consider while you're doing it you're like oh it's just how it is it's just that's how how much support i get and then <clears throat> you know he, he sort of comes in and goes well, actually if you do if you if you, you move your foot here and you do this and, and you, you do this with your arm and then you sort of um, like, oh shit, that's um, like halved my wobble zone at 100 meters with a 22. And um, the trouble is, I find I'll if I try and get too much um, information from a, someone who's a a good mentor all at once, I'll I'll struggle to retain like 20 percent of it. So now I sort of just concentrate on small areas. I'll go, hey, this position here, um, I'm having trouble with this. Da 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 let's work on this and do it and then so for the next few weeks i can do a bit of that shooting and go no nah, i need to set my leg like this or that's happening because of this and but if i learn say 50 things i'm, I'm not going to remember bugger all and um or i'll remember stuff that doesn't matter so now i just try and concentrate on improving that that kneeling uh, rather than working on all five um, positions at once or something like that <clears throat> i find can be helpful yeah, one thing at a time, cement it, and then move on when it becomes second nature. Yes, but then, but then, what I try and one thing I see with people doing that is they'll um they'll learn it, go I'm good at that, and then they'll move on to the next thing, and then they won't practice the initial thing they 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 sort of learnt, and then once you don't practice it for six months or whatever period of time, you can end up losing it again. So I know a lot of people have been to various um, training schools for precision style rifle or various different accuracy sniper type training and um this is including like um people i know who are um law enforcement and stuff um marksmen and they get all this training man it was excellent i learned all this stuff this is fucking awesome you know da 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 just so much knowledge and then they're going three months later like fuck i don't remember anything guys i still can't hit anything you know and it's like we well, you, you pay all this money for all this training but then if you're not reinforcing it or you'd have that same issue as you get, or you get too much information at once. Um, 
and then you go out in the range and you've you're, you've got some really good spotters there, right? So they guide you onto the target and you're generally shooting prone or they're correcting you as you shoot um, and you hit the target. So you come away with a heap of confidence and then you don't end up learning much, in my opinion, of, of real helpful stuff because it just it goes in one ear and the next weekend it's gone out the other. So, um, yeah, I think it can be a bit overwhelming, especially if you're new. Um I guess there's there's only there's only two reasons I reckon why you hit a lot of targets. It's one, you're incredibly good, or two, your targets are way too big. <laughs> there's um like so, sometimes hitting targets a lot um doesn't mean you're doing well. No, it's like me and me and Nick Shaw had a twenty two session on the weekend that. Uh, I actually wrote up a whole match brief for it, 10 stages, 100 and, 120 or 30 rounds or whatever we're doing. So we actually had a plan instead of making it up on as we went. And so I did it at home without looking at it. I was just trying to visualise what I had set up, saying hopefully we can see some of these targets somewhere. I've got them off, off what I was wanting to shoot at. Um and the conditions were less than favourable. It was quite windy, and we had we got our ass kicked. Like I think I was barely fifty percent or something. Um, we scored it properly, you know, like ran it under time and just like a match. And um, yeah, I think I was about fifty percent. But I'd at the at the end of it, I thought shit, that was a bloody good session. You know, that was good. But we'd hit bugger all, and um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Because it was, I knew that there was only a few shots that I'd dropped, well, probably a dozen, you know, out of the 120-odd, that were me being shit, you know, just broke up when I was on the side of the target or just bad trigger press or built a shit position. Um, and the rest of it was purely just wind. And 22 at that range, as you know, you know, it's super sensitive to any gust of wind and off it goes. Um and yeah, I think right. Nick was a little bit demoralised. He was like, "Oh God, I can't! I couldn't hit bugger all." I'm just like, "Yeah, but we still learned heaps, you know." Yeah, like it doesn't. You don't have to be hitting a lot of targets to to have good training, especially if they're small targets. Um, and you've made it hard and and that type of thing. And like the same day that me and you were here, we didn't we didn't hit. We hit, you know, quite a few, but there was phases that we went through, stages we were doing where we were hitting bugger all, and we were still saying, "Yeah, shit, yeah, this is good stuff." Mm. Um, so just because you're not hitting, you don't. It's nice to see that, see that steel getting hit and hearing that ring, but it's um, it's the same thing, is it? You're either amazing because you're hitting everything, or you, or it's too easy. That's the thing, eh? If you if you are, <clears throat> say, you're a practice session and you're at like ninety nine percent impacts, and it, it's like, well, yeah, like you say, maybe you you chuck an extra fifty yards on each target, or you you know chuck, cut the size down if it's a two inch target, make it like an inch and a half target or an inch target, or <clears throat> for rimfire, obviously, um, yeah, and then yeah, increase the difficulty that way, um, or like you say, if you're running um, mock stages, all right, well you know um 
drop the time down by a third or a quarter. So it's like, you know, 10 seconds per shot to mm. build to build a position, shoot, break it, rebuild the next position, and dial and, and stuff like that. Or say, oh, this is too easy. I'm going to go just um, using holdover. So your scope's set to zero. So every single target you're holding in the reticle and just something else to think about. And especially if it's windy, especially for 22. So you're, you're having to hold your... Um, and depending what reticle you put, obviously you're going to hold your dope vertically, but also horizontally out into the um, various different reticle designs. And, um, yeah, no good when you've got a mill C like mine and you're trying to hold eight or nine mills and holding two or three mills for wind as well. You just <laughs> yeah can't yeah. See, you can't, can't even see your cross here anywhere near the targets. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's um, the small target thing. I think is working pretty well, especially positional like um you know i think at the moment it's just two so like i said doing a lot of 22 and then i'll supplement like every um maybe third or fourth session will be a 223 i'll go up there and do 50 rounds of 223 just i just bulk bulk load um 223 ammo for it and um, my 500 meter target is a it's not it's not stupid small i think it's a 10 inch but like positional 10 inch positional two to three in the wind is a challenging target it's um you know shit like when i go back to my six mil barrel after shooting the two to three so much god it's like you barely ever hold off the edge of plate um even in reasonable wind compared to the two to three so it's um i'm but because i'm used to that sort of lower bc um lower performance slower bullet once i get on my six mil again it's <clears throat> god it's like a I, know, I hate the word laser but it's it's like shoot you know it's good um, in comparison and, and that's not the reason i shoot the two to three for practice the reason i shoot two to three for practice is cost and um and because i'm going through say 150 rounds of two to three a week maybe 200 um if that was six mil it just wouldn't work out due to you know consumable availability and cost so um yeah i've even got like a uh what's my 200 i was playing with a i was playing with a 100 mil square at 200 with the positional for the 223 and that was quite tricky if you didn't yeah if you weren't breaking clean shots like wind wasn't an issue at 200 meters really um but if you weren't breaking clean shots that was a challenging little target um also because after like three or four shots you lose all the paint on the 100 mil square um so you're like then looking at a gray target with like thistles in the background so you can't see your misses the gray target blends into the um, background i mean you got we've got pretty good optics on guns now but um yeah so just just a few things like that anything else you've been doing for excluding um for the shooting side for training any dry fire or anything no i've never been big on dry fire because i it's so easy for me to live fire you know i can just walk out the door basically and shoot um and yeah i've i know yeah guys do a lot of dry fire who i know um i've ne- never really got into it i don't even think i've done one session i can't see i can't see it being as beneficial for me as live fire because you can dry fire on tiny target right and you're just like oh yeah all of those would have hit it yeah would have <laughs> nailed it but you don't actually know you know like there's nothing nothing beats those live rounds going downrange and actually seeing if they hit or miss i have seen um, some guys using the um the mantis systems that bolt on 
So it actually tells you, it records, you, I believe it records your, your firearm's movement as you press the trigger. So it'll tell you if you're imparting sort of sideways movement and maybe if you're not following through on your trigger and stuff like that. So that could possibly be a, quite a helpful tool for um, newer shooters if they, again, aren't able to get to somewhere they can um, safely shoot and, you know, if they're stuck in their shed or something. Um, I think assuming that your fundamentals are good enough that you're going to be breaking good enough shots most of the time, um, it's not teaching you, you know, like follow through and spotting your own shots and stuff like that. And that, if you're not hitting, that is the one thing that's going to make the difference. You can... You can have the best fundamentals in the world, but if you can't spot your own shots, well, you probably don't have the best fundamentals in the world if you can't spot your own shots. But, you know, being able to see where they impact and making that correction, um, and not just, and even if you are hitting the plate, knowing where you're hitting the plate. So if you're starting on the left edge, you're finishing in the middle, um, or, you know, or whatever, and making sure you're, you're actually hitting centre of the plate where possible instead of just and paying attention to we've, we've started doing a bit of that in the sessions as well actually calling your own calling your own hits calling your own misses and if it is a hit calling where you actually hit on the plate that is one thing that's helpful with some target designs most of mine only change a few but if they're hung from a central strap you can actually watch which way the plate will twist and that'll give you an indication. Even if that plate is shot to hell, you know, it's had, say, 100 rounds on it, there's no paint left on it. Um, you can see how the paint reacts and, and get a um, get an indication of where your, your projectile has, has impacted and then, like Anthony said, move it more central. And Because if you're moving it more central, if you get a change of wind, you're more likely to get an impact rather than, it get, you know, if you're on left edge, next shot wind might increase and you're off the left edge but if you you've moved it back to the center and the wind does increase by a mile per hour you might still just catch the plate or something so there is um definite benefits and you won't that's a good point though you won't doing dry fire now i'm i don't do much of it but i hear a lot of the the big time like next level pros overseas like as in like in the states some of them are doing like 100 to 1 dry fires to the livestock but but you won't learn wind from it. Not that I'm particularly good at wind, but you won't learn how to deal with that. And um, obviously, recall management's <clears throat> not going to happen. Uh, you know, you're not going to get much result in that. But not that you do the twenty-two or the two to three. But um, but again, the two to the two-two, especially the twenty-two, you're dealing with really slow lock time. So by the time that projectile leaves the barrel, it's a lot slower than on a six-five Creed or a six mil. So you're having to sort of control that rifle for longer in that respect, I guess. But um, yeah, I guess there's there's always going to be different ways people uh, train and get you ready. Can, yeah, you can replicate. Well, I've started um, just shooting two to three bare muzzle now, mm. um, so so you get more recoil to match. That's pretty much the same as your braked six mil. Um, little little things like that like, there's no what's the point shooting the two to three with the suppressor all the time if i don't shoot my six mil with the suppressor it's it's a fair yeah. point like i i run the two to three suppress more so because i've got a few houses within like a, a sort of i don't know 800 meters of the opposite direction of me so 
I want to keep my noise down. Like, they don't complain, but I don't want to be, you know, that guy who's ripping through hundreds of rounds a week of loud cinephile. Um, yeah. But it's a fair point. Fair enough. If I was, say, if I was training up at RTD, at, at, um, up there each three times a week for the cinephile, I would consider doing that same thing, just run a bare muzzle and, um, yeah, and replicate a little bit of, you know, another, say, I don't know, what would it give you, 40, 50% more recoil over the suppressor? Um, a, a bare muzzle 2 to 3 is probably f- fractionally more, probably 10% more than the recoil of a braked 6 mil, I reckon. Have you thought, um, have you thought, now this there's probably a slight less uh, cost advantageous as the 2 to 3, but like Wilkie does, Michael Wilkie, um, he sh- trains with the 308. So the opposite end of the of the um, training caliber from us, because of the sort of increased increased recoil, and it kind of sucks in the wind a bit too, just like the two two three. Um, have you ever thought about going down that route? No, um, I've spoken to him a bit about it. Why does it? And it was you know to increase the ability to yeah practice spotting shots and stuff with a um with a heavier recoil gun but it's uh, i don't know i feel as though i feel as though it would almost for me i feel as though it would go, have a negative effect um i'm not gonna lie every time i've seen you shoot your 308 you were no good with it Yep. <laughs> yep. So maybe only, you should. You've only seen me shoot my three hundred eight once. Twice. Twice, right? Yeah. My th- my three hundred my three hundred eight isn't a definitely is no competition setup. It's Correct. Yes. Norm- yes. Hunting gun. Hunting. Very much. A, very much a hunting gun. I shouldn't. I shouldn't yeah. laugh. You did hit the pig well. We just didn't believe you. Anyway, that's it. You didn't even see that, but I that was a perf- that was a perfect shot. But Mark was anyway. telling me going afterwards, he was like, "Nah, fuck, he didn't hit it. <laughs> he did perfect, perfect shot." Yeah, that's just bad. That's just bad projectiles. But yeah. that's that's another um, that's another topic. Yeah, um, I don't but, know. I think I think yeah, you don't want to over overcompensate for what you're trying like. Just replicate. For me, it's just about replicating what I'm going to be shooting in the match. That's why, I like everything, the same is as similar as I can get it. Same optic, same trigger, same feel, same weight, same balance point, um, same recoil, same noise as well. Because if you shoot suppressed a lot, like ninety percent of your training or shooting is done with the suppressor, and then you change to your muzzle braked competition gun for the day. It can give you a fright. True, you know, yeah. Develop a bit of not, a flinch. Yeah. You're not used to the concussion. You're not used to... So, yeah, yeah. we all have to be respectful for where we're shooting and, and that type of thing, and, and of course. But where, where practically possible, um, you want to make all the conditions and everything like for like, right? Like, because I, I know... Like I do, I do a lot of shooting. I shoot almost every day of various things. Yeah, you know, whether it's hunting or whatever, twenty two. Every, yeah, everything, and from broad spectrum of guns, right from twenty two right up to the real big LR stuff. And when you jump on the big guns like that thirty three X, it scares the shit out of you the first few shots. 
you're just not it takes a while to settle back into it because the noise and the concussion and you flinch like buggery and you blink and you think jesus i've forgotten how to shoot it but and then same with the six mil you jump on the six mil for the first time if i'm doing a session and first few shots i'll blink and i'll flinch and all sorts of crap and then you get used to it and you settle in and by the end of the session you, you you're nothing you're not moving because you're used to it so if you're training like that all the time you're just used to it it's not a surprise because you don't want to turn up on the day and although no doubt you're just zeroed and stuff like that and spend the first two stages blinking and flinching and um because because of, of the noise um, yeah. So just all those all those little things, no doubt, have a benefit. Um, and yeah, for me, it's all about just practicing, practicing how we're going to compete. You know, it's um, so it's right down from running stages at home, planning them out, having them under the clock, having the same gun, the same setup, the same everything. So it's just you're running, you're just running matches, and then when you get to a match, it's just like you're training. You, know, you just revert to your revert to what's natural then and get on with it mm, yeah yeah no i like that yeah I, I guess this one thing is one thing we never used to do was prep for a competition it's definitely not in the scale now as in like daily sessions and stuff and again that is something that you obviously you've got to have access to somewhere to do that easily and that's not reality for a lot of people especially urban guys but um but again, you, there is probably other things you can do, like we talked about dry firing. Yeah, I think I think that's where the dry fire comes into it. If you have to drive an hour, an hour and a half to a venue to shoot, um, yeah, it's not practical. You mm. might do it once a week, once every two weeks, you know, whatever, and everyone's commitments are different. But anyone can dry fire anywhere. You can sit up in your lounge and look at your TV and... Yeah, if, if, you, are, um, that. if you are in town, though, maybe put your blinds down. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you'll have... <laughs> Because you'll have the armed defenders busting down your door, um, and then oh, I'm not even sure if they pay for the damage. <laughs> so, yeah, we we did a session when we were down in um, Amaru last year. Um, it, was, it was actually just tripod practice. Um, yeah, but we we were very conscious of putting our, our blinds down, and um, we did the same. We yeah. did the same thing in the hotel room, dry firing off tripods and chairs and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah, fuck yeah, it's um. It's yeah, it's some and, and that's another thing too, is sometimes a another set of eyes um can be beneficial. Like generally an experienced competitor, like a brand new competitor is probably not gonna give you a lot of awesome advice, but just wonder if you, you your mates you shoot with often, just get I sometimes I'll just say, Hey, what do you reckon about this position here? And they'll go, Actually if you just you know you're a little bit twisted, you might not feel twisted and or something like that. and even to the point uh oh, i've got about 40 videos on my phone of just um recording my sessions over the last little while and then i'll come back and so later on in the night once the kids are in bed and i'll put them on my um my computer on the big screen and um i'll watch them and just sort of critique my positions and how i'm placing my bag down how i'm positioning my legs how i'm whatever um and then the next day be conscious of that and try and do something about it and then film it and watch it and even i can watch it on the phone right there right you know the iphone films in 4k so it's super high definition you can zoom in and um yeah so that, that's another helpful thing i've been doing is um 
is I've, I've picked up a few um, little things that I've wanted to well, have seen and then wanted to remedy just due to setting up the iPhone on a cheap fucking tripod and um, yeah, just doing that. Have you ever done something similar? Yep, yep. Um, if I'm by myself and I'm having issues, I'll whip the phone out and set it up, um, lean on something so I can see it. And um, yeah, I'd bit of a weird thing going on with my trigger finger a few or quite a few probably last year I was just was getting real inconsistent trigger press and then when I filmed I noticed that every time I'd change position I'd go back to a different position on the trigger I wasn't and get yeah my grip was all up the buggery I wasn't going to the same spot every time and so I just had little identified just some little contact points so it's just right chuck my thumb there and so on so on and that sort of remedied it, remedied it, but um, I was by myself. I had no one to watch, watch what I was doing, so I thought oh, I'll do that. And it, it worked fine, but most of the time, if we're doing these type of intense sessions, I suppose there'll be two or three of us there, and we all watch each other and and critique because it's, it's quite a unique community we're in. That everyone's super competitive, but everyone wants everyone else to do well as well. Like, yeah. You're training with the guys that you're competing with week in week out, um, but then when you're not at the match, you 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 know you're telling everyone how to, how to improve. Yes, yeah. you know, which is quite good. Yeah, and she um, yeah, it's certainly you can, it's showing in the um, the results and the percentages of hits and stuff as well. The the you know everything's getting a little bit harder. Like with the RTD long range challenge, we actually um, shrunk a bunch of target sizes in the competition just due to the fact that the skill level for a large majority of competitors has increased. Um, you know, so you get to make a few little things a little bit harder, and not so much for hunter class and stuff like that, but for for practical and open classes. Um, you know, there was that on stage two. There was like a that little wee target at like four hundred meters or three hundred fifty meters or something off the side of the hill through the trees like it was a little target um it got yeah. bugger all hits on like you had to and it was windy as fuck and if you man if you went squared away you weren't hitting that target like shit only hit it twice and so like it's um yeah as as competitors get better the competitions will get harder also so like we said you can practice on small targets and you, you go to the comp and the targets are bigger but in the states their targets are smaller than ours already significantly smaller than what we run in comps so it's a whole i reckon it's a different everything's just a little bit because you look at all their barricades and everything it is very very solid they've got a very big contact area that they're putting their bags and stuff on there's no spindly manuka poles and rickety (laughs) shit like that you know, you can lean into everything of there, and literally, you could stand on it, lean on it, do whatever, and it's not going to move. Like their stuff's rock solid. Um, so yeah, they have a lot of mo- the, the. I think the differentiate the differential between us, our shooting comps, and theirs are um, they have tight times, lots of rounds, um, and small targets like very tight times we we sort of have well for, for your matches you know that you we seem to get tripped up by the props bad positions and rickety props and 
hard to get into a position and that and that type of thing it's it's a whole different style because if you put their props to our target sizes everyone would hit well not everyone you'd expect to hit 95 percent um i I, well i think hopefully i think as for (laughs) i think the shooter level was several above us as well over there i don't think um yeah, I, I think I think if you send out some of our top guys to like one of their like the well attended matches with a lot of the big names, I th- shit, you'd be lucky to come in the top thirty. I reckon a lot of guys, it's like it's that. Yeah, I don't know, and, and it's it's just I don't think we're there in that level of skill, and the fact that uh, some of those areas they can shoot a major match every weekend. Um, yeah, be it rimfire or. Or whatever. Um, now most of their rimfire is like the NRL twenty two, so it's like hundred meter stuff. Ours is a, a little bit different again, quite a bit different. But and then like you say, props. A, a lot of their ranges are a large majority of what you see in their videos is like square ranges. It's less less than not so much field ranges like we use, and um, their props will be concreted in. They'll be bloody big permanent piles of rocks, or they'll be. Um, big steel structures that have been fabricated and, and set into the ground, like you say, and they can be quite solid. So um, you see more, they have more of the field stuff now with the NRL Hunter series. That's obviously become quite popular over there. Um, so who knows? You, you might see the States slowly drift back towards um, the more practical side of things rather than the bench rest. Um, sorry, what's it called? What do they call it? Um <laughs> barricade bench rest because a lot of people tactical tactical bench rest because a lot of what you what i'm hearing i listen i listen obviously in this game you naturally ingest a lot of american um, media around precision shooting but that because like you say it's whatever prop they just put a game changer on and they shoot it next next stage next prop put a game changer on it shoot it so you end up just being like you know um the same thing and because they're on a square that, range, they can't dig up a big that's, that's what I'm. That's what I mean, right? Like, the props are almost irrelevant. Because, like, yeah, they make these things look big and spectacular and there's all sorts of shit. But at the end of the day, they have basically sitting, kneeling, and standing height. That's all the same thing. All at, um, all super steady. Slap your game changer on it. Slap your rifle on it. Pull the trigger and you're probably going to hit it. Yeah, especially with a gun that... So I don't think we've gone quite as heavy here. In New Zealand, as they have in the states, not not in the large scale anyway. Like a lot of guys' guns are still, you know, sixteen pounds, seventeen pounds, rather than, from what I understand, some of them are getting them like twenty eight pounds, twenty five to thirty pounds over there. So, with a with a super low recoiling six mil, um, for that reason, is you can rest it on the barricade, and you know, obviously there's a lot more into it. But if you've got a good wind call, um, you essentially can just you don't even have to shoulder the rifle and it will um will impact so i whereas here i don't think in the north island anyway i don't think a 30 pound rifle would be much advantage definitely not because especially when you know that you're going to encounter some unsupported standing at some point yeah we yeah what even just moving it around and in between branches and shit and um speaking of um i was going to ask you before when you were talking about uh, yeah 22 on you sitting on top of your shoulder um and you mentioned it then with the free route do you ever find yourself 
do you ever free recoil or practice free recoil or use it at some point or you're just completely against it um it's not for me i don't see it as being i noticed it i noticed it quite a lot in the south island when we were down there um guys um doing some weird free recoil stuff and like they're hitting targets but um i'm 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 quite into like yeah the you know pulling the rifle into your into your collarbone and controlling it i don't know it's just i get a lot of mentorship from simon and so obviously the way he shoots very successfully is going to be what i want to try and learn like i'm not i don't do everything exactly the same as him but um if someone is clearly superior at a given skill that you want to learn you should shut up and listen that's how i think instead of going now nah, i think i've got a better way not that i actually know so the free recall <laughs> thing for me um no it's um i have a couple of positions that if i find myself in um i know i can't hold my wobble zone good enough in those positions so if worse comes to worse i'll revert to a free recoil if i have to um and it's like my fallback safety thing and i'll I'll probably get and i know those positions if i see if i see a stage and i know that i have to get into that position i already know in my head right I'll, i'll try you know i'll try shoulder up do it properly um but and i'll have a look but if it's shit i'm just gonna let go yeah <laughs> not for, yeah i'll back off a little bit and just sort of free re- and i'm probably more likely to hit it like that and it's something i'll only do if i have to but uh, i've used it with sort of a little bit of success i suppose um i'd rather do that than break a badge yeah you know, when you're wobbling all over the place yeah um yeah but it's definitely not something i practice it's sort of it's more a safety net <laughs> Yeah. I know some, yeah, some some guys, especially as you said overseas, some got every shot is free recoil. Mm. They barely, it's like F class. They just lay down. You see them slap it on the game changer, and the hand comes off and everything, and they just sort of tap the trigger, and then pick the gun up and move to the next position. But that's having a thirty pound six mil, you know, little six br or six gt or something, and well, that won't even move. Oh, as a, especially again looking overseas at, at the, the true prs is the the similarities to bench rest are getting closer and closer and closer over the last decade like the cartridges are literal bench reach cartridge <coughs> bench rest cartridges now you know six mil br and shit like that and it's like oh we do this and make these little changes it's like that's just to make the feet a bit better for the most part like um yeah you know like you because because they were never really meat mag feet cartridges and so that's it it's that same thing and um and then the heavier and heavier guns. Obviously, the bench rest guns, they are generally... I don't know a lot about it, but I believe they actually epoxy or some form of glue, anyway, the actions into the chassis. Sorry, the, the stock. They have, like, these big, massive one-piece... God, they look horrible stocks. And they have, like, big flags painted on them and eagles and stuff and whatever. But um, and but, but then now, like, the chassis in, in our game are getting heavier and weight kits. And they talk a lot about, oh, it's to balance it, but... I think it is, but I think it's also not so much. I think it's people wanting that weight to, to reduce recoil. I, I guess that's in one way is why in, in our comps we still, and probably even more so now, include more 
um, sort of technical unsupported stuff. Because um, if, if you if you turn up with a thirty pound gun and you're like, I'm I'm here to be competitive. I want to you know try and get a podium or a top five or a win or whatever. But if if if, if you're thinking, but if I know there's going to be an unsupported stage and I can't hold my gun up, then I'm going to zero that stage. So you're straight away going to lose 25 points, 30 points, whatever. And it's like, well, I can't win doing that. So you need to sort of compromise on a, a, a firearm that balances well, handles recoil well, and then um, is, is, is handy, I guess, or, or usable in a practical sense across varied positions. Um, and yeah, like even shooting the Voodoo, in a lot in the last month it's on the upper limit of what i'd want to shoot unsupported like i cannot hold it up for a long time um but i can i can just get away with it would probably be where i'd i'd put it now if i ran all that money you'd pay for those bloody guns and it doesn't have a front qd which is fucking annoying so i have to buy a little m-lock one and stick it on it but with a sling it would be a lot simpler to shoot unsupported um so that that's something but um yeah i don't know i like the idea of, of okay, i mean south island's a bit different but of north island events they've got their own sort of flavor i like the idea of them retaining that slight point of difference from the rest of the comps around the world and um rather than just becoming a, a one-size-fits-all bench rest barricade sort of thing yeah i know you'd like the positional stuff to go but unsupported no, we just have to. I just have to get better at it, you know. It's, yeah. It's just um, everyone's everyone's got their weak spot, and that's definitely my worst one. It's um, so something something to work on. But so that you just got to have the right equipment to start with helps for the, for what you're doing. Like yeah, you know, we'll have a bit of plan when we get to the twenty two stuff. The the voodoo's definitely not going to be in its old configura- configuration. Um, you know, she'll be. A lot lighter and a lot more user-friendly for that type of stuff because um, it doesn't need to be heavy. The only reason we run it heavy is so it feels similar to my match gun from a centerfire. Yep. Um, yep. But How long are the barrels yeah. on those verters? Are they 20? Uh, your one might be. Um, mm. My one's 18, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but and yeah, again, these are all, these are all interesting points and stuff. Um, we'll probably wrap it up in a minute because we've been talking for a while, but... Um, one thing I will say for those who have got places, at, <clears throat> got a place for the upcoming 22 shoot in Pew Pew, um, each round is going to have a different flavour. So there's you know, three initial rounds and then the final. One will be a sort of a faster match. One will be a, bit more, a little bit more unsupported, not a whole match, obviously. And then one will be... Um, supported a bit more supported positional and a little bit maybe a touch more long range too so that you know that'll most likely be the pew pew match will be a little bit more props and maybe even some non um non-standard sort of tlrs props so maybe some um, some other things we have so that, that'll be quite fun um and again it's quite good it gets quite windy at this venue in pew pew so that's going to make the um out to 200 meters quite a challenge for the the little 22s and there's plenty of scrub and stuff it's going to be a cool match um i'm quite looking forward to that actually so we're planning quite a cool course of fire and it's a cool venue and for those listening because i know i'll get asked yes you can camp there 
and it is 100% free. And we're not going to charge anything for that. Um, I think there might even be a toilet that flushes. No guarantees. But um, yeah, um, other than that, pretty standard. Yeah. You'll be at that one, Anthony, I assume? Yep, I'll be there. You'll be fucking well-practiced? I'll be practiced. Not <laughs> sure about how well, but Is it, I'll be there. We've actually got quite a few new new to, names that are new to me anyway, which is cool. Um, I'm, I'm assuming a, a few of them are out of Auckland, maybe like um, people who shoot various 22 formats and pistol clubs. Um we want to give this a go, so that, that's good. Um, and we've actually got a reasonable amount in the hunter class, about a quarter of competitors, um, which is good, again, because it's a good development class, good way to learn. Um, but, yeah, uh, other than that, we have, so you, a bunch of us will be heading over to this um, PRS New Zealand, their inaugural match in the central North Island. Um, I'll be shooting off on Friday, um, and we'll be, uh, Mark assures me that he's got a really good hotel sorted. Uh, last time that was a, happened in Wairu, it wasn't good. But anyway, we'll see how that goes. Um, <laughs> are you heading up for the day? Are you coming? To, you staying the night, or what's your plan? Um, yeah, probably just day trip from here. Yeah, it would only be a couple of hours for you, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's about four for us. So, um, yeah. So again, I'll do a few last little things. We'll head over to that. Um, not really sure what to expect. Uh, again, we've not shot one of the. This is their first event. Um, I'm sure it'll be well organised. And, um, you'll probably, funnily enough, these podcasts always get a heap of listens on the day before a match while people are driving to matches. The, the, um, the stats always spike up quite a lot, um, on the, on the day and afterwards. But anyway, uh, any last closing thoughts from you, Anthony? Um, yeah, nothing on what we've talked about. Just, you know, a lot of matches coming up, um, a few down south and a few up here. Just, you know, if you are listening and you're, thinking about going along just get along to some of these matches there's a good one coming up down south at uh, boundary creek middle of next month get along to that um you know get out and support these matches around the place it's a good place to hone your shooting skills even if you are just a keen hunter just get along and um you know you'll learn learn a lot that'll benefit for any type of shooting you do and um yeah these all these matches need all the support they can get, especially over the next, you know, few months through this weird sort of transition time that we're going through. Um, and yeah, make make the most of it. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, there's actually a new North Island match too. Um, the Gun Rack is hosting a match. Um, yeah, so I'll I may have already shared something on the Facebook page or Instagram, so have a look. But that's going to be in. Northern Waikato, Southern Auckland, somewhere. Um, we'll be heading up to that. I think it's a couple of weeks after our 22 match, um, which will be good. Um, When's that? Middle of June? Uh, so? yeah, it's like the first proper weekend of May. Oh, May. Something like that. Probably when you're hunting. Um, I, thought you said, I thought you just said after, um, after your 22 match. Oh, mine's the last weekend of May, isn't it? No, so it'll be year June, yeah. sorry. Um, and so I've actually been making targets for that event for Jeff over the last wee while. Just and is, is, it, is, it the, is it the weekend after the Pew Pew one or the one after that? It's the it's two weeks after, I think. Oh, yeah, bugger. Yeah. Are you going to be down south? No, I'll, the um, that's 
be one of the um, Australian matches that we're hoping to get over to. Oh, yes, you were going to go this season and embarrass us Kiwis. Yeah, <laughs> we um, en- entry is actually open tomorrow for that, tomorrow night, so I've got to be, um, we'll see. Apparently this one sells out pretty quick, so we've got to, got to get in, hopefully, um, and then make a plan where we're going. But hopefully, fingers crossed, we're, I'm over there that weekend, so that should be good. 11th, 11th of June, is that where you're? Where yep. Oh, yep. Nice. All right, cool. Good luck going to Australia anyway. No doubt if you do, we'll uh, talk about it in the podcast afterwards. Um, yep. Awesome. Uh, one other thing, I'm thinking about maybe doing like a once or twice monthly live show on Facebook, um, separate from the podcast. Um, so you never know, you might see Anthony and a few others on that as well. Um, I've got to figure out actually how to do it. It would be the first thing. I, I can do a basic one with just me, but bringing in guests, that's something I've got to learn. Uh, I assume you'll come on that, Anthony. I haven't actually asked you yet, but um, you have to yeah, say yeah. yes because yep. you're online now. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you'll have to get like your your um, your studio with a big Hardy banner in the background and um, you know like no compromise and a picture of um, <laughs> <laughs> a picture of uh, old mate's big moustache and beard. It'll look good. Um, yeah, but anyway, um, enough uh, rambling on. This has gone on for an hour and a half. Thank you for listening to another one of our podcasts. We'll have another one maybe in a week or two. We'll talk about this PRS match and then maybe a bit of hunting. But um, yeah, uh, again, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you all soon.